the more I keep studying at this text, it's like a rose. It just keeps opening and opening and opening and opening and opening. Uh, I think I'll just finish it when we get to glory, okay? <laughs> there is stuff in here that I guess you could call it an economy of words, but when you start looking at it in light of Scripture, the wholeness, man. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking with one another in love and psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Lord, give me clarity that you may teach my brothers and sisters in clarity that they will not hear me, but they will hear you. Father, I uh, find myself at times just excited and I don't want to mess this up. So, Lord, uh, please, please teach my brothers and sisters Father, they may uh, understand that to be filled with the Spirit, there is no other way. In Christ's name, amen. I took a little track last Sunday to show you how do I know if I'm Spirit-filled, and I dealt with security. If you have doubt in your life, that is not security, so you are not filled with the Spirit. Your prayers are answered regularly is spirit-filled you have a love that uh, regardless of the person the individual or the, the the time cannot be moved you have joy that is not based on happenstance i have a joy that just sometimes makes me intolerable i have peace because I know that everything that is happening is in God's charge and that uh, His timing is perfect. Anybody here struggle with patience? Just a little patience, no patience. Okay. God's timing is perfect, which means that impatience is a sin. Oops. So I'm looking at... Ephesians five, eighteen to 21. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, who's telling us through the course of history today, they want to see our lives full of a joy and abundance. It's absolutely necessary that we be filled with the Spirit of the living God. By the way, there is no plan B. If you want a full life, then you must be filled with the Spirit. Yet all through this letter, Paul is describing the power that is there for every Christian and the potential that is in every believer of Jesus Christ. 
you know, and I was kind of touched on it this morning in Sunday school. You know, chapter 6, verse 10, starts with our battle with Satan and his allies. Listen, if you are not living controlled by the Holy Spirit, that is a fatal position. Okay? So, I mean, we can put it off until chapter (laughs) 6, but chapter 6, verse 10, you're going to run out of rope. All of our resources are bound up in the truth of being filled with the Spirit. Do we understand that? I cannot utilize the resources that have been given to me in chapter 1, 2, and 3 unless I'm Spirit-filled. Okay? And I shared with you, what does that mean? Well, one of the terms that is used in the secular Greek is that it is the filling of your sails when you're moving your ship. Okay, so I am filled with the Spirit, meaning that the Spirit of the living God is moving me. It means that I am yielded to Him. And I don't debate him. Why do you want to do that? I'll refer you to the book of Jonah. That is a man who debated the spirit of the living God, telling him to preach the gospel to the Ninevites. It is moment by moment. I shared with you in the syntax of this text that is keep being filled. So it's a keep being controlled by the Spirit of God. It is a moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. I got called to a situation yesterday out of the clear blue. We'd had prayer time in the morning. I finished kind of consolidating my sermon. I'm hanging out in the heavenlies, and I'm just sitting there going, Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, man. And then I get this phone call, and dummy me answered it. And I didn't... Yeah, it was one of those, uh, how quick can I suck the life out of you? But I'm in the heavens, man. Leave me alone. But the Lord said, you answer the phone, stupid. Go take care of it. That's not exactly what he said. But, uh, but, but anyway. It is yielding to the will of the Spirit. I sat with a bunch of Scooter trash, and I can call it, it's an affectionate name. And, and it was a, such a weird situation. And all I did, you know, they said, we want to pray. I said, well, you know, this guy's been dead for eight years. I mean, so you got his ashes in a gas tank. I'm happy for you. I was the one who gave you the gas tank. And anyway, it was a long story. They said, well, can you pray? So I prayed for every one of them gathered there, their salvation, and that they did not spend eternity in hell with Bill. So would you like me to come and pray again? And they thanked me. Why? The Spirit took me there. And you look at what is going on, and you're sitting there going, you guys are into some kind of superstitious stuff. And I said, why would you call me? But see, if the Spirit says here, I want you to go do this, what do you do? 
Well, I can't see any benefit speaking to a bunch of scooter trash. I've had the same thought speaking to a bunch of Christians. Yielding to the will and the work of the Spirit. Listen, it's not mystical. Okay? It's not some experiential, oh, I felt the Spirit move. Okay? It's not a magical divine zap. It is a yielding of my will one moment at a time consistently. Thinking thoughts of the Spirit of God. And that only happens when I saturate my soul with the Word of God. Remember, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of the Lord dwell richly in you. And then you go through Colossians and you see the same effect that you see here in Ephesians, except in Ephesians he says, be spirit-filled. As we do that, we'll be controlled by the Spirit of God. By the Word of God, we are filled with the Spirit. You've just got to read it, people. you just got to read it. It is incredible to me that people just don't read it. Just read it. What does it say? Read it and it'll tell you. And, well, but I don't have time. They call that roadkill in heaven. They ain't going to work. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. If I'm going to be set apart for the task of the Holy Spirit, you better know what he's thinking. So that was the meaning and the means that we've seen in verse 18 is the Spirit being filled moment by moment by moment. But then we saw that there are consequences. You'll be right with yourself if you're filled with the Spirit. You'll be right with God if you're filled with the Spirit. You'll be right with believers if you're filled with the Spirit. I'm going to add another one. I've been, see what happens when I get to dragging through some other things show up in my beanhead. You'll be right with unbelievers that I can go and pray for a bunch of bikers that they don't end up in hell with Bill. Okay? When we, when I don't seek my own thing, our own thing, it's not about us. Love you. It's not about you. But what is the best for others? I use the word best. Make a note. The best for others. See, when you are filled with the Spirit, all relationships become right. Did you hear what I said? The relationship with your coworkers, with your boss, with your spouse, with your kids, with fellow believers, with unbelievers, you're only perfect in your relationships. If you have problem in your relationships right now, maybe you got a coworker you just like to take out back and choke them in love. Okay? 
Maybe your spouse, you're sitting there thinking, I'm telling you, I hope he's listening. I hope she's listening. She better be listening. Got any of that going on? Then you're not spirit-filled. Gospel of John chapter 7 says that when the Spirit of God fills you, out of you will flow rivers of living water. When the Spirit of God fills you, then out of you will flow rivers of living water. All of our relationships can be summed up in being filled with the Spirit. As He controls our lives, as the Spirit of the living God controls our lives, everything in our life is right. And you know how you'll know it? You'll feel like singing. I mean, you may want to do it in the shower, but you'll still feel like singing. That's the personal side of it. There is so much joy with having all of these right relationships. That joy wells up inside. And when we are filled inside, the spirit-filled Christian, no matter what is going on, will have a tune and begin singing. When Paul and Silas were in the jail in Philippi, okay, they were in jail and they were in stocks. The stocks ain't the ones you see if you go back to the East Coast and you go to the little museum things. These are things were set up and designed to stretch you as far as they could. They were very painful. And they would put you in these stocks, throw you in a cell, and there you sit. And so they had the joy of their salvation ringing deep in their heart, and they began singing, singing in pain. Why? Because the circumstances were not Paul and Silas's issue. Filling of the Spirit was the issue. And when you have a filling of the Spirit, it brings a song. It's awesome. When I have peace with myself, I am right in my own heart. When I'm filled with the Spirit, a song will break out. And I shared with you two weeks ago, it's a new song. It's a new song of my redemption. Spirit-filled people sing. We should sing out when we sing congregationally. We should have our hearts set in such a way that we just sing out because the heart is right and it releases that joy in the spirit. I talked to you about Pilgrim's Progress. I was thinking about this. Pilgrim had a problem that he occasionally, consistently It was stated in the book, he got off of the way. He was on his way to heaven, but he would every once in a while wander off into these places. The one that always stuck in my head was the bog of despair. And he just... (laughs) And got down in there. And of course, you had all the people trying to help him that weren't helping. Okay, But when he got back on the way, what did he do every time? He would sing. Pilgrim would sing. Now, it didn't say that Pilgrim was spirit-filled. But when he got right 
on the right path, what happened? He would sing. Yet, singing is the expression God has given us of what God is doing in the heart. We can sing about it. The spirit-filled have a song. The pagans do theirs through intoxication. That's how they commune. We commune with God by song. And we know that from Colossians 3.16 because the word of Christ dwells in me richly. And I'm spirit-filled and I burst forth in songs. Listen, when the word dwells richly in you, you will sing. And you may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket, but you're still going to have that singing in your heart, that melody that says, Hallelujah! God has given us song to express our joy. Okay? But as I go through this, and I started touching on this, I have questions when I wander through things like this. To whom do we sing? I have had dealings with uh, large churches, little churches, evangelistic things, and all these other stuff, and they all have this one thing in common. Their problems always come out of the choir loft. Well, we want contemporary music. We want traditional music. We want upbeat music. We want downbeat music. We want, you know, and you hear this all the time. And, you know, that's why I don't plan nothing. (laughs) No, it's, you know, the problem with that is I don't care what the music is. What's the heart? So whom do I sing? Verse 19. Speaking to one another and then drop down there a minute. Singing and make melody in your heart. So who is it that I sing? It's among ourselves. That's one of the things that's kind of amazing to me with uh, the music in this day and age, quote unquote, church. These are our songs. They are believe, they are the music of the redeemed. And yet I watched across all denominational lines. People insist that music is an evangelistic tool. And you know what I have stumbled onto? The Bible doesn't say it. The Bible does not say, sing the gospel. What does the Bible say? Preach the gospel. Music is never intended by God to be an evangelistic tool. Music has been around for a while. And you know what? I have seen times, I can think about Judy. When music stirred the gospel message. But what was first? The gospel message. 
the music stirred the emotion of what the brain knew. They had heard the word and the music stirred it. We live in a Christian life. We live Christian lives. We should live Christian lives. And it should be a testimony of the gospel. That is the heart of evangelism. I see something in you that makes me want what you got. We are told, be ready to give reason for the hope that is in you. Doesn't say, be ready to sing Whistling Dixie. Be ready. Your life should be the testimony of the gospel. We preach the gospel. We preach the gospel to live the gospel. We teach the gospel so we are set apart from the world. In doing that, it brings joy to our hearts and we sing out loud. We are not told the world is to be won by a music group. I have seen three Christian concerts in my life. I went with the group, the youth group here. We went up to Denver and uh, we saw the, (laughs) they left an impact. The Newsboys, okay? Now, I like some of their music, but you know what I was impressed the most about them? They sang about four songs, stopped. The lead singer got up shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. They sang some more songs. They got up, stopped, shared the gospel. Three times the gospel was preached in their concert. Now the other two, none of that ever happened. So I might as well have been sitting there looking at Pink Floyd. Okay? Christian music. What is Christian music? I'd rather hear the gospel. 1 Corinthians 14 says, Seek gifts. Yes, good idea. But mostly what? Prophecy. You know what that is? You know what prophecy is? It's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm telling you what I have studied in this book. I am proclaiming. We need to know what the Bible says because it's obvious we don't. You know why I say that? Look at this Christian music. To use a deep theological term, it's junk. I'm sorry. I mean, you can listen to it. That's great. I mean, you can come into my office and depending on what radio station I got that I can pick up, you may hear rock and roll, you may hear country and western, you may hear sports, you may hear, but I ain't basing my walk on my music. And 
in the name of reaching the world, we were never told to reach the world by singing at them. The gospel is to be preached as the power of God unto salvation. You know what? In 1964, 65, somewhere in there, they had the unity of the church conference in London, England. And they had a mishmash. They had the Anglican. They had the Church of England. They had some, I don't think any of the Catholics are there. They don't like the Church of England. But they had Presbyterian. They had Baptist. They had Church of the Brethren. And they all came together. And there were some big tickets there, buddy. I mean, you had Martin Lloyd-Jones, Stephen Olford, John Stott. I mean, you had more gray matter. And, and ugh, it was crazy. And one of their concluding res- remarks was, to the brothers and sisters in the United States. You know what it was? Beware. Music will destroy the worship of Jesus Christ. You know what? As in the mid-60s, of course you had the Beatles and the Stones and a few of them other people that I was listening to. No, you had a few of these things going on. I was over there in England. I spent a few days over there, preached down by the cliffs of Dover and at a church in London. So I'm asking these people, what's, what's the church, the evangelical community? He said, there isn't any. It's generational. You see all these big fancy churches and there's nobody in it. Uh, they turn them into a bunch of bars and restaurants. But he said, no, music killed it. We lost everything. The only thing, the only religion that's growing right now is Islam. And they said, uh, a friend of mine, Roy Bedford, he, uh, he said, it's all generational. He says, what you have is people in that church that all have the same last name or have married into that family. And that's the only ones that are in that church. The church is not reaching anybody. Did we heed it? No. God wants to be sure because he knew the power of music to act upon the emotions. All right? That we don't confuse that issue with salvation. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. How many times have you either been around or seen the proverbial altar call and you see decisions made for Jesus based on emotions? It's not based on the brain. It's based on emotion. Now, they got some cool stuff out there. Oh, that's cool. I wish I'd have thought that up. But it's an emotional thing. And let me ask you a question. How many times have your emotions led you into a good, happy place? And that's what music does. I love music. You can't... I. That is not what I'm trying to say. But if I'm trying to watch a person enter into the kingdom of heaven, that has got to be an intellectual thought process that takes them there. 
Scripture shows us the church uses music to address its self. We come together to sing songs from our heart because we know what they mean. To speak among ourselves, to sing among ourselves. That's where music is to be. Now listen, it's wonderful for unsaved people to come and to hear our music. Okay? And you know what? With my heart, I hope they love it. But I do know this emphatically. They won't understand it the way that we understand it. Take the words of one that everybody's heard before. Amazing Grace. What's his name? No, at the inaugural thing. Oh, Garth Brooks. Did anybody listen to that? He sang that. I was looking at the crowd that he had around him. There ain't a person in that crowd had a clue what Amazing Grace is. Not a person understood what a wretch I am. They didn't understand any of that. I look at that and go, you know, that guy who wrote that was a slave trader. And he realized what he was doing was shopping and selling humanity. He understood that. There ain't nobody on that stage or listened to that said, oh my, that's such a moving thing. That bothers me. It has emotion to it. But we need the gospel of Christ to come to Christ. Okay? And I fear today that music with its emotional power, its impact, is being utilized today all over Castle Rock as a tool to stir up your emotions. Music that you hear in church today is so much like the world that the world thinks becoming a Christian isn't so different than being in the world anyway. You don't think that ain't true? Let me ask you this. Why do you see no commitment to the body of Christ? I've known people who had job transfers and would not move because they couldn't find a church to preach the word where they were going. That is a commitment to the true church. Look in our churches today and tell me how much commitment there is. But then look at how much of it is built on emotion. See the difference? Spirit-filled people sing to themselves. They sing to other believers. In history, I look at it. In Israel, they had the music of Israel. It was theirs, and it was among themselves. So, first question I ask, who do we sing to? One another. Second question I ask, where does it originate? Our music. From... An internal source. This is fascinating to me. I've been spending a little time in this. It deals a lot with what I see in our country today. 
in oh so many ways. Maybe I'll write a book. <laughs> we three, no, anyway. The book of Amos. It's an internal source, our music is. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word, which I take up for you as a dirge. You know what a dirge is? It's a funeral song. You sing dirges when you're burying people. Hear this word I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. She has fallen. She will not rise again. The virgin Israel, she lies neglected in her land. There is none to raise her up. You know what he's saying? Quit your singing, fool. Your hearts are not right. If you go on over to chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. Speaking of Israel, those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls, while they anoint themselves with the finest oils and yet have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they go into exile at the head of the exiles. That's interesting. They were drinking wine so much that a cup didn't work no more. We went and got a bowl. Ivory couches, perfumes as oils and ointments. We're fat, happy, and sassy. We're doing our sacrifices. Everybody doing good. And God says, shut up. You're acting foolishly. You lie on your couches of ivory, your fancy beds. You drink your wine from bowls. Pure indulgence. You cover with sweet smelling ointments. Jewelry is hanging off of you. You're playing songs on new instruments. And God says, I don't want to hear it. I've already shared with you, God loves music. But it has to be in the right heart. Chapter 8, verse 3. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing. In the day, declares the Lord God, many will be the corpses in every place, and they will cast them forth. In silence, there will be no singing. Your singing shall turn to wailing. Music in and of itself is not the issue. It is the heart of the one singing. Okay? That's the issue. God loves music. I mean, Jesus is going to build a new temple and he's going to have choir loss on both sides so they can sing at each other. What is the heart? If the heart isn't right, the music is not pleasing to God. We must remember this. Please remember this. No matter how long we sing, if the heart ain't right, 
Listen, you know what? I like this because no matter how lousy I am at singing, if my heart is right, it is pleasing to God. That is totally awesome to me. I mean, you guys, some of you know him, Hank Smith. You sing standing next to him. And and I did this one. We were at, at a conference out in California. And there was about a thousand pastors. And I, I we were singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I was standing next to him. And I tell you what, he had thrown the whole row off tune. But my golly, he was giving it all forward. And I'm sitting there going, Lordy, Lordy brother. I, if you're going to sing off tune, turn the volume down here. We can sing bad, but if that heart is right, the song is sweet music. And it rings to the ears of God because it's a heart issue. And you know what? We've lost that. We've lost that in the church today. We have lost that. How many musicians, their hearts are not right, and yet we promote them? Think about that. Their hearts ain't right. I look at your actions, your heart ain't right, and yet we will promote you. Our music is different. Our music, the God's music from the heart is different. It's not this world's. The music of this world is going to stop. You know, there's a text that is very seldom we miss at times. I think we miss a lot. We look at revelations and we say, okay, this is conclusion. This is God's righteous judgment. This is how he deals with it. He sets up the eternal kingdom and sin is cast out forever and ever. And it's all done. And we see judgment. You know what the first thing he judges? First thing, you come out of seven years of tribulation. Okay? He's getting ready to set up the eternal kingdom, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom. You know what the first thing he judges? First thing. Thought you'd never ask. Revelations 18, 20 and following. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and the apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And we all say, Amen. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down in violence and will not be found any longer. First thing that I will deal with, first thing I will judge, and the sounds of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. You know what the first thing he does? Poof. No music. No music. Judgment on the world system, mystery Babylon. Babylon was the originator of evil. Babylon will be the conclusion. All right? It will be wiped out at the end of the tribulation. During the tribulation, there'll be people singing rock opera Tommies. 
When he's done, guess what? Think about this for a second, brothers and sisters. What would you do right now if from now on, no music? Think about it. You ever watched a movie that didn't have music in it? And boom, 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 boom. It's getting ready. It's getting ready. No music. I mean, everywhere I go, people's got them things hanging out their ears. They tune out the world and listen to whatever. No music. Then Christ will set up his kingdom. And as he begins his kingdom, the world's music ceases. God says that's enough that all non-spirit-filled music will stop. It's like God has given music to mankind. I believe this emphatically. If you listen to the human voice, I don't know an instrument that can replicate what the human voice is capable of. What a blessing music is. But as usual, we've managed to corrupt it. And there's coming a day when God removes it. A world without music. Think about that. We have music everywhere. There's music in everything. And it'll be gone. The only music that will be left will be spirit-filled saints singing praises to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's almost like our lives right now, we don't face life without music. Why? Because it stirs our what? Our emotions. See, if I get enough emotional stuff going on, I can crowd out rational thinking. And just, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 13. I will cause the noise of your songs to cease. And the sounds of your harps shall be heard no more. Okay, now that text is contextually is focused to Tyre. Okay, and, and he did it. Okay, he obliterated Tyre. Now Tyre, they were pretty uppity kind of people. And they had an isthmus that stuck off the coast. And so the survivors of the war with the Greeks... <laughs> we'll go out on this little island thing, go like this. You can't touch us. Do you know what Alexander the Great did? He took all the ruins of the city of Tyre, threw them into the Mediterranean Sea, and made a walkway over to the island and slaughtered them. Just as Ezekiel said would happen. And you know what? There no longer remains anything there but a place as Ezekiel says later, to dry fishnets. That is a picture of what music is going to look like at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. The only music that will be there will be that that is bringing honor and praise from glorious hearts focused upon the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, filled with the Spirit, singing praises unto He who is worthy. That city was flattened. The only songs, the only music 
ever sung after God stops the world are the songs of the heart of the Spirit-filled saints. Take it and just move it on over. How much music is there going to be in hell? Okay. Songs of the heart is what we are called to. Those that are filled the kingdom for eternity will be singing the songs of the redeemed for eternity. To me, that's just like, whoa. I mean, that gives a whole new meaning to choir. You got two choirs in the temple, one on each side, they're singing at each other. Everybody that's up there is redeemed, sinless perfection now, so I can even sing next to Hank. And I mean, it's going to be so totally awesome. And yet now, we should be doing the very same, raising our voices unto heaven. Our songs are not for the lost. They are for the redeemed. And our songs express our hearts because we are redeemed. And I mean, that's just, whoa. There's more. Probably going to take me another two weeks to get through it. And then I'll deal with hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. <laughs> because there, I was shocked. I knew God liked music. You know why I knew that? The book of Psalms is a music book. Okay? That's the biggest book in the Bible. I'm thinking maybe he likes music. What do you think? Okay? And I see it all over the place. All right? But it means more than what you think it does. And uh, we'll get into that next week. Because God has given each of us a voice. Some of us a little bit better than others. They told me that you become a preacher because you can't sing. (laughs) So, and I don't know what Hank's problem is because he's not a preacher either. But anyway, (laughs) but listen, you guys, I'm not talking bad about him. He knows everything I've already said. (laughs) I've known him long enough and I owe him. He's the one who thought I should be an elder and and I'm still getting vengeance on him. So, but I, I want you to remember we sing out. You know, I have a blessing and I'll close with this. I have a blessing that you guys don't get. Okay. When I stand up here and you guys sing, I get it. It all comes at me and I'm like, <laughs> it's just really cool. Okay. And it's, I mean, it just comes right at me. And I like that. And then I thought, oh, you poor people have to listen to me sing at you. Okay. But I'm not next to Hank. Okay. We have been given voices that do amazing things, if you think about it. And now we have learned that part of our communing praise to God is singing. So let us sing from a right heart, joyous praise and thanksgiving to our Redeemer. We'll pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And... uh, I thank you for these precious saints, Lord. Pray that each of us will strive to walk worthy. That each of us, Father, 
will have be so overfilled in our hearts with joy that the Lord would be overwhelmed and just sing forth the power of the Spirit-filled life. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in humility, Father, with right hearts, in love, in wisdom, Father, in joy, peace, power of the spirit of the living God indwelling the children of the most high God. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.